1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Doris. And Doris ended up being married to a very reactive physical abuser. Her story is one of bravery and protecting her daughter at all costs, even if that cost was Doris herself. And now, before we get to our episode with Doris, I just wanted to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. A big shout out as always to our friends in our Narcissist Apocalypse Facebook support group for being a great group of people. Also, a reminder, if you haven't left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., Leave us a five-star written review as if you can. It helps a lot when it comes to rankings for the show. Now, let's see here. Now, the quickest way to be part of our show is if you want to read a letter to your narcissist and be part of our Letters to Our Narcissist compilation episode. We have a voicemail recorder on our website to record. Go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. It's on the right side of the page, and it's always floating around and hard to miss. There's a button there that says Send Voicemail. You press it, and away you'll go. It records up to five minutes. So if you need more than five minutes, record once, twice, three times, four times, as many as you need. We're accumulating these letters to have a Volume 3 of that episode. So send in those voicemails. However, if you want me or my old pal Melissa... To read your letter instead, just send it to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line so we know what it's for. And before I get out of my own way, I just you know want to say to everyone, I hope you're doing okay during this holiday season. From those of you that are no contact to those brave people out there that are still in relationships or are unable to get out, I know the holidays are a very rough time for a lot of you out there, so I'm sending big, 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 big hugs for all of you out there, sending them your way. And now officially, it's time for the show to begin and for me to get out of my own way. Here is my interview with Doris. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse. I I screwed up the name there, (laughs) welcome to narcissist apocalypse i'm brandon chadwick with me today i have doris how are you doris
0: i'm very good thank you
1: well that took a while for me to spit out those words for us to get this started a little (laughs) Uh, you with your uh, doris you have a 1940s name and uh But you have a 2015 to 2020 attitude. We're going to the new decade. How are you feeling about that?
0: Feeling very good. Feeling I, very good about the new
1: decade for I, sure. I have it's no be idea. Better than the last. I, I have. It better be. Uh, <laughs> I, I have no idea why I'm acting like a radio DJ right now. Uh, I will. I will <laughs> stop it right now. And we were just having a good time before we even started. So, anyway, I'm going to get out of your way and give you the floor. To Tell your story. Okay.
0: Um, okay. The first thing um, I'd like to probably say about myself that should be understood, um, I'm definitely a relationship girl. I always have been. Um, I've basically been in a relationship since my teens. Um, my shortest relationship ever was a year long. And so I'm definitely most comfortable always of being in a relationship. Um, That being said, I got married in my mid-twenties after about three years of dating a guy and a lot of pressure from me (laughs) we did get married. However, even when we got married, I knew that really wasn't the right thing. Um, I wasn't unhappy, but I also wasn't happy. There was no highs, no lows. Everything was just totally baseline. Um, It was almost like living with a best friend which honestly was fine for a while, but there was absolutely no intimacy in our relationship at all. And so we got married. We were actually living out of state at the time from where we were from. And uh, we moved home a year after we got married. Um, And we were coming up on our year anniversary, actually. And I got a new job. I started working at a call center. It was a sales office, and they sold radio airtime. And it was really, um, if you've ever seen the movie Wolf of Wall Street, a lot like that. um, Anytime anybody had a sale, they'd have to ring a bell and run up to the front and tally their total. It was really, really loud, um, really aggressive, really competitive. And it was mostly male employed. Um, From teenagers to guys in their 60s, it was mostly male dominated. And the company was actually broke up into two levels of the building that we we're in, so the sales floor was the entire second floor, probably 30 or 40, mostly men, probably 90 percent men. And then the third floor was the admin office where we did data entry payroll and I was hired to be in the admin office. I was downstairs a lot though. Um, I had to organize lunches and get orders and I was constantly down there. And from the moment I started working there, I noticed there was a lot of male attention, especially um, being a girl and being new. There wasn't a lot of girls there and I remember um, the first time I saw James and I was actually getting ready for lunches on the second floor and he had walked in and it was his birthday. And I knew that because it was also my job to send out emails for anyone that had a birthday. Um, So I had said, happy birthday, James. And I still remember this day, like almost like it was yesterday. Um, Just the way he looked at me. And from that point on, he really didn't leave me alone. Um, He called my extension every morning to You know, say good morning beautiful and he hoped I had an amazing day. He would go on and on about how amazing I was. Um, He did know I was married so he never did anything physically out of line but emotionally he was talking to me way more than he should have been and the stuff that he was talking about is not stuff that he should have been talking about. And so I started hanging out with people from work a lot, going out and I kind of realized early on that I just didn't want to go home. I didn't want to be with my husband. Um, we didn't have anything in common. And so eventually I had told him that we needed to separate. And so we did. Um, I took my ring off and he moved out. And then um James and I actually started hanging out alone a lot. And I was totally fine with that. I was lonely. I didn't really know like what was going on. I knew that my marriage was over, but I definitely didn't want to have a boyfriend, but I did want to have someone to talk to. And James was great for that. He, um, we would go out literally every night of the week and he would just talk to me. And it was perfect because I didn't want to talk. And he took that time to tell me a lot about himself. Um, he told me about the abuse that he had suffered through as a child. Um, both of his parents were drug addicts and his dad actually kidnapped him twice from his mom. Um, his dad was then arrested on major drug trafficking charges and James was put into foster care. I don't know how long he was in there, but it did take a while for his mom to get him back legally. So he talked to me about all of that.
1: So after he talks to you about that specific type of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, how much empathy are you giving to him in this situation and how much of your, uh, what's the best word? How much are you drawn in here? Do you have like a a caretaker personality about yourself that is sitting here thinking I want to help this guy?
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. I'm I'm. I would classify myself as an empathetic person. Um, I'm definitely a peacemaker, um, and it's always easier for me to help someone else with their problems versus mine. So when he was telling me all of this, I felt. So horrible for him. Not only did I feel horrible for him, I was honestly extremely impressed with him and how he carried himself um, as an adult. He was like the top three salesperson in the company and he was like 23 at the time. It was insane. And he. everyone liked him. He he kind of had a reputation at work. Um, He did get into a lot of fights outside of work. He was kind of a bad boy, but also very respected because he was so good at his job. And so I was extremely impressed with everything he told me about anything that he had been through. Like, I felt so bad for him, but I was drawn to it as well because he seemed to handle it so well.
1: One, one, one little thing before you continue... I sw- yeah. You said one specific thing, which was you liked to, uh, something along the lines of like when you liked helping him with his problems because it helped you avoid yours. I I'm, yes, I'm miswording definitely. it. Can you just explain that for one second?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, with everything that was going on with me, I mean, I knew my marriage was ending, um, and I felt horrible about it, and I was embarrassed. I mean, we had bitterly been married for a year. Um, we had like lived out of state together though, and it was all, everything was in place for it to look so perfect and it wasn't. And like my parents had paid for the wedding. Everything was very traditional. We had a big wedding. Um, and I was just kind of almost in shock. Like I knew I needed to do it because like I said, I wasn't unhappy, but also realized that I wasn't truly happy. I was in my mid twenties at this point. Um, and so it was a lot easier for me to just listen and him tell me everything that he was telling me, versus what I probably should have done, which was go through all of my feelings and really feel them myself.
1: Um, but, but you know, in in a certain way, you know, some people uh, take drugs to take their mind off of things. You yeah. listened to him. I did. And he was like, he was your buddy and you knew that he wasn't going to ask questions back or if he did, you were able to skirt around them. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, and he didn't really ask a lot of questions. Um, I had actually told him when my husband moved out, I had pulled him aside at work and just said, you know, Hey, um, I'm, I'm, nobody knows this, but we are having problems. It hasn't been good for a while. And, um, hanging out with you is, is not making it any easier Um, so I, I did tell my husband that we need to separate and like, I just wanted you to know because you're not the cause of it. But I, I basically thanked him for saving me from my dull, boring marriage. Um, and he kind of ran with it. He never, never asked me about how I was feeling about anything or asked me to talk about anything. Uh, At the time, I kind of just assumed that he was just so intuitive that he knew that I didn't want to talk. And he just kind of took that burden off me. So after he had gone through all the abuse of his family, he also went on to talk to me about ex-girlfriends. One ex-girlfriend in particular, the one before me, the relationship just seemed very abusive from top to bottom. Um, He would talk about how she would go through his phone in the night and she would wake him up. And that's just something that he couldn't deal with. He, He already wasn't... Um, good at being woken up and then on top of it, having someone invade his privacy and his sleep, that was something that always triggered him and they would physically fight about it. She also had a son. And so he also, um, did mention that her son was witness to a lot of these things. And I kind of just listened and, um, he never really made anything his fault though. Um, everything that he had done to her, um, he was provoked. There was even certain stories from his past that he didn't tell me because he told me that he had told her. And it, when she brought them up, he ended up um, putting her in the hospital. She was abused so badly. So there was just a lot of um, these are my triggers and this is what you need to know. And so I was like, okay, I understand. And I was appreciative that he was just being so open and honest. I also never really – I didn't really take him seriously at the time in the sense of I wasn't looking for a boyfriend. Um, My marriage was just ending. Um, We worked together. We had fun together. I figured it was something to take my mind off of things. And so I really didn't ever want to go full, like, boyfriend-girlfriend.
1: So when he says those things about his ex, and specifically Mm -hmm. when you said that stuff about the triggers – that these mm-hmm. are what triggers me, and this is what happens after the triggers. Mm-hmm. You look at that as he's giving me a warning of, uh, like, an expect, expectation of behavior or things yeah. that are off-limit. So, Absolutely. you know, do you also start thinking, well, obviously, you probably don't know yet. I guess we'll eventually, you'll figure out. Are are these ways that he's planting future seeds of blame that in the sense of, you know, that these things are wrong for him, but not for you, but he's planting these excuses.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's basically, it was just like a blanket of. Um, this is, this is who I was born to be. This is who I was raised to be, but I'm trying everything in my power not to be that, but you need to know that this is still inside of me. So if you do these things, you will see this person,
1: even though those things you may end up doing, which you do. Well, I'm not going to say that you do end up doing because people will find out, I think eventually, um, that you're damned if you do damned, if you don't, you know, that's with a lot of people in these situations that, um, you know, he's just, he's just trying to create, he's, it's like he's creating an excuse early on knowing what's going to happen later.
0: Absolutely. Now, looking back on it now, yeah, absolutely.
1: So besides like uh, these things that were happening at at this moment, uh, -hmm. is there anything like else that he's kind of, uh, talking about when it comes to how you relate to him, uh, in the sense of, Uh, how it makes him feel or, or how good of a person, you know, a lot of, a lot of people in these situations project what they like about you. Yeah. Uh, Is he doing Um, anything like that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, He was constantly putting me on a pedestal. Um, The fact that I also um, at the job that we shared, I got a promotion at some point too. And um, he was so proud of me. And my promotion was pretty prominent. Um, Every order that went through that office went through my hands. So not only was he, like, happy that I had this position, he tried to take advantage of me and use my job to, to help him. He would try to ask me for information about things that I couldn't tell him, stuff like that. Um, He always, you know, made it seem like I was this dream girl. I was so put together. And um anybody else that he had ever dated, you know, hadn't even graduated high school or was working at a pet store or Walmart. And that was his whole big thing with his ex-girlfriend, is that she didn't want anything more and, you know, she never had any money. And I had this good job in this apartment, and he said of all people that he's ever known, that I would be the one to help him reach his full potential that he knew that he could always reach.
1: And that makes you, and that makes you feel good about yourself.
0: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, I naturally like helping people. So I was just like, easy, you know, done, no problem at all. Um, so yeah, he started, um, we started hanging out all the time outside of work and, I was still not not into the whole boyfriend-girlfriend thing. However, he did um, eventually have the argument of, you know, we hang out every day anyway. Like, why wouldn't you want to do that and also have half of your rent paid? And I was like, all right, you know, when you put it like that, it, it doesn't sound so bad. So I did allow him to move in. Um, and then once he moved in, uh, things did start to change little by little. He got more controlling. He got more disrespectful. One time early on, I remember we were, um, it was after work one day, we were sitting in my living room talking and I was in like a, an armchair next to my couch, like a big tufted armchair. I had wine in my hand and um, he was just rambling on about his ex again, another story. In fact, I think it was a story I'd already heard before. So I was not really interested in hearing it. And he had said something about what I was doing was reminding him of his ex, maybe the look on my face or how I was acting. And I remember I just kind of looked to the side and said something along the lines of, well, that sucks or that's too bad. And immediately he spit in my face and pushed over the chair that I was on. My wine went everywhere. The chair was on top of me. Um, And I was just taken aback. I had never been treated like that before by any human. I had never even seen anything like that. So I didn't say much. I went to bed. I uh, slept on the couch and he slept in my bed. And then woke up the next morning like nothing happened. And I was like, I can't do this. You cannot be here. You can't do this. I've never once been treated like this by anyone. It's going to happen again. I mean, come on. And he started to choke up, and he actually started to cry and basically said that this is what he's been trying to tell me. This is what he's been trying to warn me about. Um, He has this inside of him, and he can't control it, but if I could just give him another chance and have a little bit more patience with him, then he could overcome this. And, I mean, this went on for a couple hours. So after that, I did... So that he could stay and he promised it would never happen again. And so he stayed.
1: So so he was a big Crier. Yes. And he used the crying as a way to pull on your heartstrings and then the story of you being such a good person that you're the person that can make me change.
0: Absolutely. And, and almost like putting, um, blame or not blame, but guilt on me. Like, you know, I've come so far and I've overcame so much. And he even said a couple of times, like, I, I didn't even do that much to you. Like people that have been with me have been through so much more. If you could, you know, just please overlook this. Um, and so I did. And, um, the abuse just kind of got worse from there. Um there was one time he poured beer over my head. I really have no idea what we were even arguing about. Um he would He was really controlling in the sense that I wasn't allowed to have like any social media accounts. Um I had had a Facebook and an Instagram before I even met him, but I literally did not go on either one the entire duration of him living with me. Um any I could not go on my phone without it being a problem. He was constantly interrogating me about who I was talking to what I was doing he used work to abuse me in that sense even more because he was so respected I mean people would say things to him jokingly not knowing that I was going to get in trouble when we got home if a new guy started if anybody said that I was talking to anyone it would get back to him and he would laugh about it at work but then he would come home and be a monster to me And so I was never doing anything and eventually it got to the point where something finally just clicked in my head where I was like, what are you doing? If if you're constantly, if you're so convinced about me and I know I'm not doing anything, what are you doing? And so I finally got the nerve to look through his phone one night when he was sleeping and did find um, hard evidence that he had cheated. He had slept with someone else Um, and I had actually met this girl. Um, one time early on, before before my husband even moved out, I had gone out to dinner with a girlfriend of mine. And um, we went to the bar right next to my work because she worked with us, too. She knew James. So we were having dinner, and he walked through the door. And I remember, like, not really thinking it was weird, like, almost even thinking, like, he just wanted to see me. And so he didn't he didn't come up to us or anything like that. He just kind of waved and went to the bar and there was another guy that we worked with that was sitting at the bar. So I was like, oh, okay, you went to have drinks with him. So I finished up with my girlfriend. We had dinner, drinks, and I walked over to the bar to James and our friend and there was another girl there as well who I had never seen before. Um, and uh, James had explained when she was in the bathroom that our friend knew her and that's why they were all talking and when she came back, she was aggressively asking us to go to another bar. She really wanted to go. And I was saying, no, I'm I'm okay. I'm going to go home. And I remember even telling James, you know, if you want to go, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to go home. Like, I don't know this girl. I don't know what's going on. He was like, no, 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 no. I want to come with you. So he came back home with me that night. Or no, he didn't come back home with me because my husband was still there, but I drove him home. So when I went through his phone... I see he had been texting with this girl, and they were talking about everything that they had done, and I see that it's the girl that I had um, seen at the bar. So um, he managed to get her number within 50 feet of me um, without me knowing, and sleep with her right before he moved in with me, and I didn't find out for like two or three months. So I had already known, he had already told me that he didn't like being woken up um and all the stuff in his phone and going through it so I didn't say anything for a while maybe like a day or two until he started freaking out on me again about what I was doing and that's when I um, brought it up and I was like well I know what you're up to and he didn't say anything he just looked surprised um and then I tried to kick him out again, and I said, "Okay, this is it, though. Like, you gotta go. You're not even treating me well, and you're doing this. I never wanted to be boyfriend and girlfriend in the first place. You forced it, and now you're cheating. This doesn't make sense." And his mood completely switched. He like jumped on top of me and um, said to make him move out, and that if I was going to call the cops, that they would he he would kill me. I would be dead before they got to the door. <sighs> So from that point on, it was kind of a waiting game. Um, The abuse did escalate. There was a few times that December, uh, twice in two weeks, where uh, he tried to pay me not to go to work because I was beaten so badly. Um, And I went. I did go to work both times. The first time I said I fell down the stairs, the second time I think I said that I got jumped just because the abuse was so bad I couldn't pass it off as anything else. Uh, I did get called into my boss's office, and they did ask me what was happening. And I feel like everyone really knew, again, uh, James had a reputation. So always in fights, always coming in with his knuckles bandaged up or something like that. But also very respected within the company. So I lied, and I just went along with my story. I didn't like deeply embellish, um, it was something I remember vividly, like not wanting to lie, but also not wanting to tell the complete truth. So Um,
1: within this time, while this has happened, after the, you know, when he threatened your life as a second type of Hoover, you know, the first mm -hmm. Hoover was crying. Second one Mm -hmm. was, you know, now we're getting really physically abusive. It is yeah. threatening your life as a, as now you're living in fear as well. These fights that are going on. Mm-hmm. Is it, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation. Uh, Absolutely. And can you kind of explain a little bit of how these fights work where, you know, I think this happened with a lot of people where you don't start a fight. They're looking for a fight and no no matter what your action or reaction or whatever that is, it's going to be the wrong one.
0: Yes. That happened. So that was the basis of most of our relationship. Honestly. Um, One of the biggest things was um, all the things that he had said that he liked about me so much in the beginning were things that I was now getting in trouble for. If I was putting makeup on in the morning, that would be a fight why, Why? who are you trying to look good for? And so even though when we first got together and I was so put together and so well done, all of this, like now he was making fun of me, my outfit choices. Why are you wearing that? You know, people are going to be looking at you. I mean, and these are like the outfits that he had said were his favorites in the beginning. So it, it was like, no matter what I did, I would try to look nice for him. I would try to wear something that he had said he liked. And then all of a sudden I'm I'm being accused of not only cheating, but like wanting all of this attention. And I had no idea what was going on and I didn't know how to make it better because no matter what I did, it didn't seem like it was getting any better. Um, and so.
1: So you're isolated at this point.
0: A hundred percent. And I didn't want, I never had my friends or family around James because he had told me so much of his stories in depth about his ex and some stories about his ex's mother trying to intervene and how he got physical with her. Um, I know he had gotten physical with his own mother before I had seen it. Um, so I didn't ever want there to be a situation where he could do something like that to my friends or family. So I just didn't have him around them ever, ever. And, that was my way of dealing with that.
1: And are you lying? Cause you're, now you're lying to your boss at, at work. Or are you lying to people at work about what's going on to protect your whole entire situation? Yeah. Uh, how, how did you explain your the way you look to your family? Or did you avoid them um, completely?
0: I tried to avoid them completely. My dad actually showed up to our work because he couldn't get a hold of me. And that was rough. <laughs> I, t- I told him the same thing that I told my boss. I told him that I got jumped. Um, and he believed me. He trusted what I said. Um, so that was somewhat easy enough. Um, and my dad was, my dad's really the only one that was in, in state. My mom and my brother were out of state. So my dad was the only one that had to see anything and he bullied what I told him. So I did lie to him as well. Um, and then, at, I mean, at that point I knew with, with the abuse being as bad as it was um, and us working together. I mean, we drove to work together. I did not have a breath without him. And I basically just started, like, hoping and praying to the universe that someone would come along and get his attention. And that did happen. Um, uh, After a while, we got a new girl who worked with me on the third floor right next to me. Um, Coincidentally, she also lived in the apartment building across the street from us. So it was the same complex, just a different building. And I just had a feeling that I was going to go after her. And every time I would go downstairs to get orders, there was one uh, stairwell that we could go up and down to go from floor to floor. And I'm not kidding, almost every time they were in the stairwell talking alone. And as soon as I would open the door, things would be really awkward, and she would be like, oh, okay, bye. And he would just say, oh, yeah, talk to you later. But I would never actually hear any of the conversation. As soon as I walked in, they would immediately both stop. Um, It got to the point where someone else from work had came up to me and said, um, just so you know, she's talking to your boyfriend every time she's on your fo- on her phone, she's talking to him. Um, she's told me about it and I don't think it's right. And so I just basically um waited. I uh waited and it didn't take long, maybe a day or two. James wanted to have a conversation with me and um he said that we needed to go on a break. He said that because he had physically abused me so bad just recently he didn't want to hurt me he was out of control again and this is how he gets and um to save me and to protect me because he cares about me so much we really need to take a break and if we take a break then maybe in like a couple weeks or whatever we can you know figure out what's going on and we can go from there and I was like absolutely not absolutely not I'm not taking a break if we're breaking up we're breaking up and you need to get your stuff and go and he was reluctant, but he did agree. And so uh, he moved out within like a week or two after that. He, the morning that he moved out, he went out and got coffee for both of us. Um, I didn't drink mine at all. And the entire time we were packing up his stuff, he kept trying to like touch me or grab me or grope me or stand behind me. And I kept telling him like, stop, what are you doing? You're about to move out. And I mean, this went on all day long. And then uh, finally I was cleaning up something in my room and I came out to the living room and he was on my couch sobbing, like absolutely sobbing. And I don't even know what he was saying. He was crying so hard. something about he couldn't even imagine me with anyone else and he can't believe that he did this again and he always does this and just on and on. And I was like, I'm sorry. I actually ended up going over to him, putting my arm around him and consoling him and telling him it was going to be okay and that, you know, things just don't work out sometimes. And, um, well, you know, I'll see you at work. You know I'll still see you. And so he did actually leave. He did leave. And, uh, I felt a lot of relief. It was really good. Um, that weekend actually he ended up getting arrested. Um, and he was put on house arrest for two weeks. So I had two full weeks of no work with him, no contact. And it was,
1: what did he get what did he get arrested for?
0: He was driving, um, talking to a girl on the phone, got pulled over for being on his phone, and when they pulled him over, they searched his car based on his record and they did find drugs in his car. So yeah. Um he house arrest for two weeks and then he did come back. Um and as soon as he came back, it it, it was difficult. Um it wasn't unbearable because I was on a different floor and I could control how much I was downstairs. Everyone basically knew the situation. So if orders needed to be collected, if something needed to be from downstairs, someone would go get it for me. So I did a good job of staying away from him for a while. Um, and some time passed and I think he had a girlfriend that we worked with at one point. Um, and I ended up, I got on a, I moved in with my dad. And was like just feeling good about everything. I felt, I was still sad. And still really kind of blown away by what had happened to me. But I started dating again. And I met, I met a guy. And we dated for like six or seven months. And he was really good. He was very sweet, very respectful, not abusive in any way, shape, or form. And he actually ended up going to Florida And he passed away when he was in Florida. So that happened, and it was devastating. I remember driving to work the next morning after finding out that he had passed, and James had actually randomly sent me a song, a song that he had always used to play for me when we first started dating. That was a big thing of his, songs. And it was really personal. Uh, it was a song about basically a guy losing a girl, um, losing the best girl that he'd ever had and how he took advantage of her and stuff like that. So I was just so emotional. I remember calling James on my way to work and saying, like, thank you. like, And I told him what happened about uh, my boyfriend dying and, and all of that. And I was like, it's just been a really hard year. And, like, I appreciate you reaching out. It, it was just, like, at the right time, you know?
1: So you're in a very vulnerable state.
0: Oh, extremely. Probably the the most of my life so far. Like that, I don't know how much lower I could have been at that point.
1: You're so you're very um, vulnerable, and yeah. out of the blue, would he send other texts throughout time, or was this like a constant thing, or was this like really just out of the blue at the at the right slash wrong time?
0: Um, the text message was just out of the blue at the right slash wrong time. The entire time that we weren't dating when he had a girlfriend and I had my boyfriend at work, he was still trying to touch me, poke me, hug me, kick me in the butt, like just stuff like that, like constantly. And I was like, stop, I have a boyfriend. And on top of it, you have a girlfriend that's disrespectful, but it was always just like him trying to be really playful. Um, and I was like, no, it's not the way it works anymore. But when he had texted me that morning, that was super out of the blue. He hadn't texted me in a long time outside of work. In work, when I was in his face, totally different story. Um, but he had texted me that, and I remember being on the phone and him saying, you know, he was, it seemed like he was being so empathetic and like, yeah, I, I, I know, and I put you through a lot too, and, you know, just get to work, and, and I'll see you when you get here. And so I got to work, and at some point during the day, He asked me if I wanted to go get a drink, and so I said, yeah. Um, So we did start to hang out again, and kind of the same pattern, like starting to go to the bars, uh, drinking a little bit, and him just kind of talking and me listening. Nobody knew that we were hanging out again. My family didn't. Uh, My friends didn't. I had one friend. My one friend um, who lived out of state, she always knew what was going on from the beginning. If James ever hurt me to the point where there was bruising, I would take a picture of myself and send it to my friend out of state and then immediately delete it from my phone. Uh, and I had done that from the beginning of anything ever happening. And I, I told her, um, just basically, if I ever die, if anything ever happens to me, I want my parents to know what happened. Um, so she knew that I was hanging out with him again, but that, that was literally it. And um, for, for
1: people listening, something that you haven't heard before, I think on this podcast is we now have here three Hoovers and three, three attempts at a Hoover. And, and you went back three times and each Hoover was a different tactic. The first one was guilt and crying. The second yes. one was uh, threats for your life. And the mm-hmm. third one was, you know, he, the right place at the right time, uh, in a very vulnerable situation, saying the kind of the exact right things, uh, to comfort you. So this time he's, exactly. he's comforting you and making you feel, um, you know, you know, taken care of at your one of your all time lows outside of of him when your current partner had passed away. That's three different attempts. And I think for a lot of people who are going through things, a lot of people see probably the same type of Hoover, uh, attempt going on, but for you, uh, each one was different. So are you able to see any of this, uh, as a Hoovering attempts uh, or you not see th- yeah, you're not able to see through it?
0: No, not, not at all. I was the first time I was taken aback the second time I was scared. And the third time I was just so low and, um, I was just so sad. It, just, it didn't even matter. I just needed to feel better. Like almost like we were talking about like it being a drug. I just needed to feel better. I needed to not focus on what was going on with me in my life. And I knew that he was a good person for that because he had done it before for me. He had taken that all away when I was, when my marriage was falling apart. And so we started like hanging out outside of work. He didn't really come over. We would still go to bars and stuff like that. Um, He eventually, we both left that, um, that company and he had gotten an apartment. So I would like go hang out with him in his apartment a lot Um, Nobody knew that we were dating until I got pregnant. Um, I did get pregnant with his child. And um, uh, I remember when I told him, he said he was going to kill himself, even though before then he had always talked about wanting to get me pregnant. So that was upsetting. And then he also was pushing really hard for me to move in with him again. Um, and he didn't have a sales job anymore. Uh, he was doing odd jobs here and there. So I know he was struggling for money. And my argument was, in my head, I was thinking I don't want to move in because I, I have a feeling the abuse is going to start again. But my argument outward to him was that, you know, we're expecting a baby in nine months. And I know it's you know hard for you here alone, but it's not going to help us if I'm paying half of your rent and then I can't save anything for the baby. So, He was um, rational enough to agree to that. I would go over to his apartment on Fridays and stay until Monday morning when I had to go to work. And I would also be there on Wednesdays. Um, And there wasn't um, any, there wasn't really any physical abuse when I was pregnant. There was once when he pushed me. But because I wasn't living there, um, I wasn't constantly engaging him. There, It wasn't, it really wasn't bad. I had told him that I would move in with him a month before our daughter was born. And so that was the plan. Um, I did find out uh, a month before I had my daughter that he cheated on me again when I was like seven months pregnant, I want to say. And that was really hard because I wanted to leave. I didn't want to be with anyone who's a cheater like that. I've never been that type of person. If you don't want to be with me, that's fine, but we're not going to be together. However, my biggest fear through everything as soon as I got pregnant was leaving my child alone with him. Not even necessarily, I mean, babies are stressful and they can be triggering to someone who has an anger problem. Um, But also, even deeper than that, I was so worried about it always seemed like James needs a girlfriend. And so no matter what, a girlfriend is going to be in place. It also seems like he's always abusing whatever girlfriend this is. So even if my daughter won't be abused herself, she will be subjected to a woman being abused. I'm her mother, so I know I'm thinking in my head, I'm never going to provoke him. I'm never going to be the aggressor. So if I stay with him, I can control his outrage. I can control his rage. I'm never going to wake him up in the middle of the night. I'm not going to go through his phone. I'm going to keep the peace and we'll be fine. And so that's so, why so I didn't at, leave. So at
1: this point, you've moved in, your child is born. Yeah. You've already determined this is your thought process in your mind and you're protecting your daughter uh, yeah. in this manner. Yeah. And you're willing to put your own life in harm's way For her.
0: Absolutely. So.
1: Absolutely. Before we kind of get into that, I guess the difference between the first time you lived with them to the second time you lived with them. Mm -hmm. The second time is the abuse rampant in the sense of he is, it's just, it's just always something now. And he's always, and you're always on edge. Can you kind of explain how he goes about um, creating situations where this is always going on?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, the first, I should say, the first time we dated, like we talked about, it was all about, you know, what are you doing? Who are you doing that with? Are you cheating? All of that stuff. When we dated the second time after my daughter was born, that never once came up. Never once was he possessive. It is honestly even still difficult for me to think about when I was scared to look on my phone when we dated the first time. He did not do that once. However, he did move towards our daughter being the main source of our fights. The day that she was born, he was yelling at me and threatening me in the hospital saying that I was hovering over her. I was going to turn her into a needy baby, which is what he never wanted. And he was always, always trying to push on me expectations for her that were way, way too far out of her reach. I mean, he would, he would get mad at me for not letting her cry it out when we first brought her home and she was three days old. Um, and so I had this, so almost immediately the day that my daughter was born, I had this fear instilled in me that if I tended to her, it was going to be a fight. It was going to be a problem. So walking on eggshells would be putting it lightly. I was so stressed out and anxious. I did everything I could to make sure that she was comfortable all the time so that she wouldn't even start crying. Because if she did start crying, he would expect me not to do anything because I was supposed to be listening to him. Um, and so that's how he was able to take fights then. You know, any anything that she did. He, he would tell me to leave her. And there were a couple of times where, you know, he had done that and it was like an hour or so of her crying. And I would finally, you know, just be like, no, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to get her. And I would go to get her and she had like blown out her diaper and she was, you know, sitting in her own filth for 30 minutes. And when I would say that to him, like, Hey, look, this is what's going on. It almost made him more mad. The more, like, truth or logic that I had to go with anything, the same thing with the crying it out when he was upset that I didn't want to let her cry it out, I went to the Internet. I started looking up research, reports, trying to show him everything logical, like, this isn't just me. I'm not trying to control the situation. Here's what I have. And then he would start making fun of me for that. Oh, you just read something on the Internet and you think it's true? So then I would go back and I would find, you know, versus one article, I'd find 12 articles. And be like, well, here, look at this. And anytime that would ever happen, where I would have so much information and fact on my side, he would completely shut down. His favorite thing to say was, talking to me it was like talking to a brick wall. And that would be the end of the conversation, no matter what. Um, and it was always when I had either like facts, research, whatever, or the hardcore proof in my hand of like, this is what's going on. That's when it was all of a sudden the conversation was over. You're useless. It's like talking to a brick wall talking to you. So that did uh, stop a lot of our conversations. And, um, I had my daughter within three months, he was physically abusive again to me. And after that, I mean, I tried really, really hard not to ever get him upset in any way, shape or form. Um, it was extremely stressful. Uh, I was breastfeeding for, I breastfed for three months and I know I wasn't, I wasn't eating. I was so underweight because I was so stressed out. And I know my daughter wasn't getting the nutrients that she needed, but he refused to buy formula and he would make fun of me for not being able to produce enough. Uh, or just say that he didn't he he wouldn't buy it because I was able to do this and I just wasn't doing it. So that was another way that he kind of used our daughter to guilt me and make me feel bad and belittle me. It was just constant like I could never do anything right. Um things did get better, not better but they got a little bit easier once my daughter got a little bit older. Um not so much of a newborn more of a baby, and we moved as well. We moved from our really small one-bedroom apartment where we were all on top of each other to a three-bedroom home, and um, it was supposed to be like our fresh start, and I was so excited about it. I had literally spent every dollar I had, my tax return that year, everything on um, the deposit and the first month's rent. And the day that we moved in, it was just already a problem. His brother moved in with us. James didn't tell me that his brother was going to be moving in with us. He just, that's just what happened. And it was just very quickly on. I could see that it was not the fresh start that he had said. Um, things were decent when his brother was living with us. Um, his brother has a lot of problems. He's an addict of a lot of different things. And so James really seemed to like to parent him. Um, and I feel like honestly, as weird as this sounds, I feel like we did a good job of parenting him together. I felt like I had a teenage son living in my garage, um, the whole time he was living with us. And James and I would have these extensive conversations about like what his brother needs to do to, you know, help himself or help his life or, and, and it was good for a couple months. And I think it was, he was really focusing on the issues his brother was having. And after about three months of his brother living with us, he did, uh, beat his brother to an inch of within, within an inch of his life. I came home from work and, um, James started to pick a fight with me. I really have no idea what it was even about. And his brother stepped in to protect me and, you know, said, bro, what are you doing? She just got home from work and she's just trying to talk to you. And he attacked him. And when I say attack, I mean like jumped on top of him and attacked him. Um, The police were called. It was that bad. I did not call them. Neighbors did. And after that, his brother moved out. And I will say, something in me changed. Like, I started to get more scared and more anxious. Like, I almost felt like if his brother wouldn't have taken that beating, I would have. Did Um,
1: Did he go to jail? Did the police do anything about it?
0: No, he didn't go to jail because his brother ran. And James gave... The police, um, he gave him his brother's name, but he spelled it wrong. And he like he said that they weren't very close and it was just his half-brother and he doesn't come around ever, and you know that's why, because they don't get along. And so the police just left.
1: So he's been getting away with this behavior pretty much his whole entire life. And like the his only time he life. got caught within the story that you have is for a drug possession charge and it had nothing to do with... Uh, domestic violence or aggravated assault of any sort.
0: Absolutely. that's And he, he even admits that. It's insane. For as much as he's done physically to especially women, um, I mean, we're talking like broken bones, really heavy stuff and things that he's even done to his mother. The fact that he has only been in county jail for two days because of a drug charge blows his mind. And almost when he talks about it, it's almost like bragging, like a power thing. Like he's gotten away with so much. Um, And let's see, after his brother moved out, I did start uh, getting more nervous. He started a new tactic, I guess you could say, um, was purposely overwhelming me. That was a big thing towards the end. Uh, I was working full time. I would drive my daughter to and from daycare. Um, he's never even been there. Um, and also trying to upkeep a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house and, you know, um, making dinner. That was a big thing. You know, once I was working full-time again and taking my daughter to daycare, then it was, well, why isn't the house clean? And so then I was cleaning the house. And then after that, it was, well, why isn't their dinner ready? And so I would start going grocery shopping. I'd get, like, little microwavable meals. After a week of that, why do we have to eat everything from a microwave? This is disgusting. So I started getting stove meals. And then again, same thing. Um, why, why can't you just cook a full meal? If my mom could be a drug addict and cook a full meal for me, why can't you? And so once again, like coming back to the fact of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Different situation, but same end game. And um, it just it was relentless towards the end. Um, every day he would be really nice to me in text messages when he was at work and then come home and be a completely different person. And I always thought that was really strange because at work I'd be like, okay, you know, he's asking about my day, you know, how's your day, babe? Hope you're doing well. I just sold this blah, blah, blah. And then I would come home and he, he wouldn't even talk to me or he would just start in on me about the house or dinner or the fact that i was he said I was complacent or that I was so obsessed with our daughter that i I couldn't do anything else like everything was just all about her, and I even tried to explain it's, to it's him, like
1: he was buttering you up in the day it's mm-hmm. kind of like an a morning love bomb waiting for mm-hmm. the afternoon atomic bomb
0: exactly exactly, and it was almost i even felt a little bit like his disdain for me became so great. It was easier for him to be nice to me in a text message. So he would go ahead and do that to like put his like nice feelers out. And then when he came home, you know, it wouldn't be that bad because he had been so nice to me throughout the day. Um, So he definitely did that a lot. Um, And then one day I finally, he, I had come home from work, And, um, his phone was on the kitchen counter and, um, his mom had called and I missed the call and I went to grab his phone and unlock it to call her back. And his phone was completely locked. And he had never done that before when he had cheated on me when I was pregnant. Um, one of his things that he had said to keep me around was that he was so sorry. He was disgusted with himself for the choice he made. Um, me and my daughter were the only things that he had. And that from this point on he would, I would have access to his phone if I wanted, if that's something that I needed to do, he would allow me to, because he understood that he betrayed my trust. And so at the time I was like floored. I did, he was so, especially the first time we dated, he was so protective of his phone. It was insane. So that really made me feel good at the time. And so with his phone being completely locked. He was at work, and I called him at work. I called him at his work and asked, you know, what is going on? Our entire relationship, since our daughter has been born, has been contingent on the fact that I have access to your phone if I'm feeling uncomfortable. And he didn't say anything else except for trying to look through my phone, and he hung up on me. He didn't confirm, didn't deny, did nothing. And that's when I felt like something like really bad was going to happen. He had never let go like that, except for the first time we dated when he had met that girl I worked with. It was the only time he released me, and it felt like he was doing the same thing. So over the next couple weeks, um, he did at one point come home from work, and he did hit me again to where I had bruises on my legs. I did the same thing that I always did, Um, texted the pictures to my friend in a different state, deleted them, And then the following week we were supposed to go on a camping trip with his family. We got into another argument early on that week. I do remember him. He was drunk and just calling me complacent. Um, He told me that he hated himself for being with me, that I fooled him. And that when we first got together, he thought I was this put together, awesome woman that would, you know, help him reach his full potential. But he was so wrong. And, I was a loser, and that was nothing without him. And I stood up, and I said, I'm a person. I'm always going to be a person. And he got really mad. He threatened my life again. was very descript about what he did or about what he was going to do or wanted to do. And he, we had a conversation. I, I said something along the lines of, you know, if I can do this good, if I can keep getting up every day, work full-time, take care of our daughter, clean our house, and make you food. With you acting like this, what what could I be like if, if you were nice to me, if you were supportive of me? Uh, you've never even thought about that. And um, he shook my hand and said that he would do it. He would go ahead and support me because he knew that I would fail, and when I did, he would be right there to stop me out. So we shook hands. Went upstairs and punched a wall, something I could tell, Um, and I fell asleep on the couch. The next morning, I woke up, got my daughter ready, told her to say goodbye, and left for work. Uh, Took her to daycare, uh, got to work, and um, one of my friends came into my office and I just broke down. Like it just, it all came out. I couldn't stop crying. And she suggested that I go talk to my boss about it. So I did. I went and talked to the owner of my company, they had no idea of anything. Um, any time Ver physically abused me, the second time we dated, there was never any markings. Um, a big thing of his was choking. A lot of times that doesn't leave marks. So they were blown away, blown away completely. They had never been through anything like this before, but they wanted to help. They asked what they could do. Um, so James was at work. Uh, My daughter was in daycare. I left in the middle of the day, went to my house that I shared with James, and collected the necessary essentials. My daughter's birth certificate, Social Security card. Um, She has a breathing machine. um, She has asthma, so her breathing medication, breathing machine. And then I left. Um, And I texted James um, because, again, we were supposed to go camping that weekend. So I texted James and I was like, Hey, I'm going to stay with my dad, with our daughter for the weekend. Why don't you go camping? You go have fun. Obviously you don't want me around. It's a parent. And I told him, I was like, I'm scared for my life and I'm scared of you. Um, and he had replied later on something like F that. And if you think running away is the answer, then see where you end up, um, He also tried to make me feel bad and was like, oh, typical. And I have no way to get to camping now. Thanks a lot. And I just didn't even respond to him. Um, And so the next day I went to work like normal and called the courthouse and asked them, like, what do I do to get an order of protection? They um, immediately hooked me up with their advocacy agency in the courthouse. So I called them and after talking for like just a couple minutes, they were like, yeah, you definitely have enough. Come on in. So I went to the advocacy agency at the courthouse. Uh, Very nice woman helped me fill out all the paperwork, asked me to detail everything as much as I could. Um, I did have to go before the judge that day and I was granted an emergency order of protection for myself and my daughter. So uh, that weekend was one of the worst weekends of my life though. He didn't get served those papers until Monday afternoon. Um, so the whole weekend he was camping, he didn't know when he got home on Sunday, he did text me, um, saying like, are you coming home? But the order was still already in place. He didn't know it, but I did. So I just didn't even respond to him. Um, and yeah, he got served that Monday. So then we started going to court. The first time we went to court, um, It was dismissed and continued because he showed up without a lawyer, which was extremely frustrating on my part because James also has an older child who's 10 and, um, James's child's mother had an order of protection against him in 2012 for a very similar situation to mine. Um, so same courthouse, same County, same everything. So he definitely should have known what he was up against when this all happened. And I remember, um, at the advocacy agency, I remember the lady helping me said, you know, does he have a record asking about it? And I said, yes, he does. And explained to her about the order of protection that he had beforehand with his first child. And she had told me that the judge would want to know that. So I was like, okay, you know, and that makes sense. You know, he's a repeat offender. However, um, after I got my order of protection, the advocacy agency did um, link me up with a um, law firm that had pro bono lawyers for stuff like this. I mean, when I left, I had nothing. I had maybe $30 in my bank account. I had absolutely nothing. Um, And so they did take on my case. However, um, the first meeting that I had with my lawyer, I immediately started talking about James's first order of protection and that, um, you know, he he had a drug charge arrest. But other than that, the only abuse. Anything he had was the fact that there was an order of protection against him in 2012. Um, the lawyer told me that the judge didn't need to hear that and that he didn't see why we would tell him that, which I'm still to this day extremely confused about. I, I don't see why a judge wouldn't want to know that. Um, but long story short, our case never even got to a hearing. Um, once James did have a lawyer, he came, and we were about to go in, However, my lawyer grabbed his, pulled him into a mediation room, and showed him the pictures that I had of the bruising on my legs. They weren't expecting that at all, so they asked for another continuance. And then everything was finally actually just settled in August of this year. Um, Nothing ever went to a hearing. They asked me if I would be okay with a year of supervised visits, and so I said yes. Um, There really wasn't any other option. Um, and the county that we were in, I wanted the supervised visits to be at a facility or with a social worker, and they told me that that couldn't be done. So they appointed James's 90 year old grandmother to be the supervisor.
1: Which is um, crazy.
0: I think so. I wasn't happy about it at all. Um, I mean, I've seen James put his hands on his own mother I really don't think his 90 year old grandmother would be able to do anything to stop him if he was doing something with my daughter he shouldn't be
1: no but just to have I know this happens a lot that (laughs) there should be a in a case of domestic violence there should be someone who is not a family member who is the one who is watching over the situation I mean that just absolutely that's just ridiculous
0: it was horrible and and the fact that i'm i was so terrified to leave my daughter with him but because he never physically hurt her then we can't they can't do anything to take her away from him and that was the most disappointing thing cuz so my entire argument has been yes you're right he hasn't done anything to her but that's because i've been there i've always been there um and I, like literally my lawyer told me after me really getting upset about this multiple times that unfortunately it is the way it is. Like your child literally has to be struck or hurt badly for anything to happen to a parent. And so that was upsetting because I was like, so I just have to wait for this to happen. And my lawyer said, yes. So, um, order was set in August and it goes for a year. Um, he was appointed to supervise visits from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. I also thought that that was an extended amount of time um, with his grandmother supervising. Um, we were meeting at a, a halfway point between the two of us because my daughter and I are living with my dad. Um was at a police station. We did that for a couple weeks, and I thought things were going okay. However, um, the end of October, I got a phone call from a DCFS agent saying that James was being investigated by DCFS. They went into detail about how they received a phone call from a therapist, his son's therapist, saying that his son had said he is worried about his sister in his dad's presence. Um, and that something happened where my daughter didn't want to get in the car seat the last time James had her. And he was pushing and shoving or or hurting her, getting her into the car seat. So much so it upset his 10-year-old son and his 10-year-old son told his therapist and the therapist then made the phone call to DCFS.
1: Um, it's, the a bra- it's a brave little boy.
0: Yeah, he's he's amazing. I can't even, we're not going to go there because I'll cry. He's great. Um, but yeah, so, and, and even more than that too, also he also says that, grandma is not there for the visit that James picks her up and drops her off just so that she's in the car. So I see her. And so I'm blown away. I'm like, at this point, I'm at work, and I'm speechless, and I'm shaking because my worst fear is now happening. My entire argument to the court system has been, nothing has happened because I've been there. And now within two months of this order being put in place, something has happened to warrant a DCFS investigation. And the agent I spoke to was absolutely, I, there's no other word for him besides lovely. He was a fantastic person. Um, he answered the phone The first ring, every time I called him, updated me, let me know what was going on. Um, He did try to interview James for three weeks. James did not cooperate. Uh, The only time that he was able to get in touch with James was when he was at work and the agent called his work and was just transferred to him. Like he, The agent didn't say who he was or where he was calling from, just got transferred to him. And he said that James was extremely short, extremely rude, and got off the phone quickly. So I believe DCFS has 60 days to complete a report. So, you know, after trying for a couple of weeks, being to the house multiple times and James not answering the door, they he did complete the report and he indicated him on the child abuse charges. Um, DCFS can't go after anyone criminally, so it's not like he could be arrested from those charges. Um, but it is on his record, I believe, for seven years that the things that were said more than likely happened. The agent does believe that these things happened. He was even validating and extremely helpful with me because he said, you know, I I can't tell you what to do, but I know that you need to be a mother first. And that right there, that's more than any lawyer had ever said anything to me, anything that, that alone gave me this. Even my parents were like, well, you know, you really need to follow the law. Having that DCFS agent say that to me was the most freeing thing that I've ever heard in my life, I think. Because I was like, he's right. Um, well, if the grandmother's not right. going to
1: be there, and obviously isn't exactly. going to be there in the future, you have to, you know, you, I mean, it's.
0: Yeah, I just had, like, you you had I had cannot send her. There's no way that I even know what's going on. And what upset me the most is my daughter's only two and a half, she'll be three next year. Um, she didn't tell me about any of that happening. She didn't say anything about her crying or she, she wasn't upset when I picked her up. She was actually asleep in his car. Um, the, the day or like the last time that he had had her when this supposedly happened. The only thing that I even like thought about later on was the fact that when I picked her up from him, not only was she asleep, she had also Peter Pan, and she's fully potty trained. I thought that that was weird, and now that I know the situation, she was obviously crying and screaming and so upset that she wet herself, and then basically like passed out, like fell asleep from crying so hard.
1: So um, how are she you? Didn't... Sorry, sorry, continue. No, no, you continue.
0: I was just going to say she didn't say anything like that to me. So when I got that call, I mean that that was like one of the worst days in my life. Like I was like, what do you how? I'm hearing a story about my child that I didn't even know happened.
1: And now that you know the story, you are out of it in a sense. I mean, you're out of the home and you still have to you know, possibly deal with co-parenting later on. At least you get a little bit of a reprieve right now and hopefully for a very long time. How are you and your daughter doing and how are you working through a lot of trauma from the physical abuse, from the, from the emotional abuse, uh, at this point of your life.
0: Um, we're both, we're both doing good. Um, she's she's doing really good. She, um, she didn't, I kept her away from a lot of the stuff. That's another thing that's important to talk about is that uh, also another reason the court never took my daughter away was that she wasn't ever in the room when it happened. I wouldn't even entertain a, um, a negative conversation with him, with her awake. She's still so little. She goes to bed at eight o'clock. If you want to fight with me, if you want to argue with me, let's just wait until she goes to bed. Um, so because she was never a witness to any of these things, that's another reason why they couldn't take anything away from him. So I thought I was protecting her. Um, and, I, and I was, but at the same time, it was hurting me in the court size. I'm doing so much better than I was when I first moved out. Um, I am in therapy. I use the app Talkspace, which is amazing In super affordable. Um, and just trying to little by little, um, forcing myself to do things that are uncomfortable, like going out. I went to a concert a couple of weeks ago and like, that was really difficult. Um, just being around that many people, James and I used to go to a lot of concerts too. It was at the same venue that we had been to. So I'm very much into trying to rewire my brain. I want to create new experiences And right now it is still uncomfortable. It's not intolerable like it was when I first moved out. I've moved, crossed over into just slightly uncomfortable now. Um, I have also started dating and I have met someone and so far everything is really great. And if nothing else, just restored my faith that there are some really nice people out here in the world.
1: Have you gone to any support groups of any sort?
0: No, I haven't gone physically to any support groups, but I am a part of a Facebook, a closed Facebook, I think it's narcissistic abuse. Um, That's been super helpful. Actually, that is where I got the talk space information from. The women on the Facebook group, the stories that they share, I haven't ever actually posted anything, but um, reading through everything is, I mean, it's, and you go through every emotion reading all of those stories you you feel bad for these women, and i I get scared because I hope to God that some of these end results aren't my end result. but it also kind of gives you an edge on what to look for or what to do. I've found a lot of really good articles through there. Um, one that I found was amazing language for women to use in family court that is a huge. And I don't think people realize it until you're in it talking about what somebody did to you over and over and over again, regardless of whether it's right or wrong ends up making you look weak. And that's how the court system sees it. Um, and there are ways that we can uh, focus on not what was done to us, but how we handled it. That's a good way around it. Um, that's something that I learned and it's true. Um, so trying to inundate myself with as much information as possible has been extremely helpful. Extremely.
1: Are you able to send me that article link so I can post it on the description of this Oh yeah, episode? absolutely. Because uh, sure, I'm sure, sure people, I it are, people are going to ask for that one.
0: Yeah. It's, I recommend that to any woman going into a courtroom with custody, anything, 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 because, especially when you've been through so much abuse and all of this, you are emotional. And and that's the worst part about courts is because court and therapy do not get along. The court system wants you to do one thing and therapy wants you to do another thing.
1: So before um, we finish off here, I have one question about, you know, when it comes to domestic abuse and domestic violence and having Power, a loss of power, in in mm-hmm. some way. Are are you working towards reclaiming your power and taking your power back? And if so, how does that look and feel?
0: Absolutely, um, this is a big part of it. Honestly, um, talking to you about all of this and trying to reach out and help—that's that's what I want to do. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to focus on this for the rest of my life, and I also don't want to hide it. It's. I'm not ashamed of it and it does not define me. And if I went through it because I could get through it and I could help other people, then that's the end goal for me. Then, then I, I don't even feel bad that it happened to me. It, I feel, I do believe that everything happens for a reason and I survived it. Um, and so talking about it is a big thing and sometimes it's hard to talk about it. Um, and sometimes it makes, yourself uncomfortable or other people uncomfortable, but talking about it does help. Absolutely. That's like the biggest thing. Talk to anyone, talk to even a notepad, writing it down, anything just to get it out until you exhaust yourself of hearing about it. That's, that's kind of where I'm at right now.
1: Well, thank you for talking about it with me and for Everyone out there in our audience, Doris. Yeah, for
0: sure. It has, been, <laughs> thank you, thank uh, it has
1: been a pleasure talking to you, sharing your story. You are brave to come on here and tell your story. And this has been, you know, we've had domestic violence stories uh, before, but yours was uh, to an extreme uh, of domestic violence. And, you know, when people listen to this story, who've gone through, what you've gone through, hopefully they'll resonate and and take steps forward to hopefully leaving their relationships if they can or when they can, as well as you know aspects of your story that you know as far as the changing tactics that were used to confuse you. Uh, you know we haven't had that before, so thank you for coming on and telling that specific story because I'm sure there are people out there that have gone through that as well and haven't been able to put a finger on it because since things are constantly changing, it's confusing and you don't know uh if this is abuse or not abuse because there's no pattern and and, and without a pattern it's hard to tell so thank you for coming on and telling this part of your story uh for everyone and from the bottom of my heart um it's been a pleasure talking to you and i'll talk to you for a second after we get off as well and for everyone out there thank you for listening